Hello, PolyM fam, and welcome to Talk Your Poly Off, presented by ilovepoly.org. This is your podcast for ethically navigating your relationships, your community, and yourself for a healthier and happier lifestyle. This is Bella Doll. She is my sunshine full of giggles. And this is Joshua Monsuda, the logic to my emotion and the chaos to my order. So now you know us. Pull up a seat and let's talk our poly off. Welcome back to Talk Your Poly Off. I'm Bella. And I'm Monsuda. And we're still stuck in quarantine. Yes. This is day 3,952. <laughs> oh, it's never ending. Yeah. And that, it started, what, three, four weeks ago, five weeks ago? I don't know. A it's been about ago. six decades. And yes. we're still here. This with us this week is Miss Laurel. Hi. Yay. Hello. Thanks for joining us. I'm a boring introduction. Sorry. I'm just like, hey, guys. <laughs> no, you're good. You're good. When we're stuck in quarantine, like I find too many projects to get involved with. Mm -hmm. Bella likes to just chill. Mm -hmm. How are you doing with all of this? I start about eight projects a day. Do you finish any of them? No. (laughs) Well, I take that back. Today I finished mowing my backyard and I started that on monday (laughs) that's good at least it's done (laughs) so that was exciting it felt really good i sat out in the sun like in the half that was already mowed a couple days ago that was nice (laughs) at first like really sunny afternoon and then like my kids were like i had a few people be like so you should like mow the rest of your lawn when i would be like they'd see my backyard or whatever through video or just by like looking through my fence whatever it was and i was like yeah i left my lawnmower there to remind me to finish it <laughs> so i did that this morning but that's yeah so i get things done but i just i so i'm a good mix i start the projects and then i relax and that's how i like finished my lawn i was out in my pajamas and i was out there chilling with my dogs and my chickens this morning and i saw my lawnmower sitting there and i was like it's a freaking lovely morning with a nice breeze and it's not too hot yet i'm gonna finish mowing my lawn so i literally mowed my lawn in my pajamas nice nice, nice. so that that's how i get it done so i'm a good mix of you guys i think so are you essential I am apparently not essential. However, I recently, within the last three months, discussed that with my boss, well, ex-boss and ex-coworkers about how dental healthcare workers were essential workers and our jobs were extremely secure until all of a sudden they needed all of our PPE and they said, people don't need to have their teeth cleaned right now. People don't need their cavities filled right now. And so... I'm not essential. And that also provides that, that makes that PPE available to the healthcare workers who have to be there to, you know, support the COVID, you know, virus, helping take care of those that have to take care of that. So are you going crazy at all with all that's going on? No, I don't watch the news. Yeah. Stay off the Facebook news stuff too. (laughs) I am actually more of an Instagram person because I think that I really like pictures. I'm a super visual person. Those posts that look like they're 10 million miles long don't usually get read by me unless they're by someone that I really actually like to know what they're saying. But if it looks like it was like one of those copy and paste things, I scroll on. 
I really honestly try and live my life in a way that like, and this might sound super selfish, but I suffered from really bad anxiety up until about really my anxiety's really only been better the last three or four years. Yeah. But prior to that, watching the news would send me into like full blown, like heart racing, feeling like I couldn't breathe, sweat dripping down my body, panic attacks. Oh man. So I just canceled cable TV. And if the news came on in a waiting room, I'd throw earplugs in and close my eyes and listen to my music. I stopped looking at newspapers or magazines that had the news in it. And I focus on like my day-to-day life and the stuff in my local community and what affects me directly. So I'm very like community focused. So the most in the last few years is kind of disconnecting from national or global media and just the world around them. Yeah. Oh, I, I watched fucking Tiger King. Don't get me wrong. Like I watched my global media or my Florida media or Oklahoma media. I watch that shit. But like when it comes to the news, like, meh, I don't need to, I mean, I know what's going on in the world because the people I love talk about it. And so I like talk about that and I have people from like all different walks of life. So I get a pretty well-rounded like view of what's going on in the world. And then I get to kind of just pick and choose what I think about and what I explore further. And that's when I can like choose what media sources I go to to get more information. You talked about your community and connecting with them. How are you handling partners and not, are you nesting with partners? Do you, how many partners do you have outside of the house? I currently have one partner and um, she is living with her other, one of her other partners. And so I'm currently not nesting with any partners for the first time in my adult life, actually, which is... Well, I mean, I had like a brief time, brief moment in time where I lived in a camper by a river. It was actually a very magical healing time in my life, um, not too long ago. But I had partners that were amazingly wonderful and supportive and there for me a lot physically. And so this is the first time in my life where I feel like I'm really living independently alone. And it's super empowering, actually. And it comes at a very interesting time on a global level. And so a lot of people who kind of know me and know how dependent I've been on partners and on my community and the ability to like physically be present in my community are really surprised at how I'm handling this because this feels like the right time for me to be alone. Yeah. So it's really freaking weird. Like I was already like really excited to be alone and then COVID made me have to like not have a job and get to stay home and be alone. And I was like, hell yes, this is what I've wanted for years. And everyone made me feel like shit because I was depressed and wanted to be home and not work. And then I had to go back to work and I've hated it. And now I get to actually just do that. So I do. There are definitely days don't get me wrong. I'm super grateful, one, to still be working. Yeah. Two, I am grateful that I have a nesting partner and we can do things together, even if it's simple as going grocery shopping and making dinner together. Yeah. But I do look sometimes at like, man, it would be kind of nice to be in this isolation for some real alone time right now. And yeah. That people who are alone, it's always the grass is greener, right? So they're like, how could you say that? But there are days. 
I feel really lucky in the fact that half of that week I have my children. And when I was kind of going through a lot of my um, like mental health, healing, self-realization period of time, that time where I lived in my camper by the river, my kids unfortunately suffered a loss in their relationship with me at that time. I really had to focus on myself. And so this has also given me a huge opportunity to regrow that relationship with them. And so the other half of that week, you know, I get half the week to really focus on myself and the other half that week to really focus on my relationship with them. And so it's, it's really been a great time for me to like refocus and spend that time with them and do the things that we liked to do together and talk about the things that are important and really have that chance to apologize to them and show them that, you know, I'm sorry that I had to do that. I hope that, you know, we can repair that relationship. And I feel like I'm going to be able to be a better mom now because of it. That's incredible. Yeah. So I'm hoping that, you know, after this, I know that it's really hard because I'm not saying that COVID is a great thing. This is a shitty fucking thing that's happening to our world. But I'm really just trying to, I think, for my sanity and for my kids' sanity, like, I don't want them to be terrified. I want them to feel safe and feel okay. And so for them and for me, I have to turn this into, like, this is our chance to, you know, regrow our family. Sorry, I didn't realize I was going to get emotional. That's okay. No, it's totally good. I mean, I think from my view with the COVID-19 affecting all of our society, a lot of people look at the statistical side, myself included. A lot of people look at the statistical side. They look at the analytical side. It's all like purely a matter of facts and data and whatever. So really getting the chance to hear you allowing yourself to be emotional is a super good thing because it shows the human side of what's going on in our world as well. Personally, I appreciate the fact that you felt comfortable enough to be open about it and I appreciate everything that you've said. Yeah. Are you homeschooling? Are you taking on that? Hell no. (laughs) (laughs) My kids are done with school for the year. Everybody's kids should be done. It is totally unfair that We're going through a national emergency. If everything had been wiped out by a tornado or a hurricane or a like, obviously not on a national level, but like if we had national level giant freaking thing that had wiped things out physically, we wouldn't be making them do online school. I don't know. I think the whole thing is stupid. (laughs) And I think they're putting and went during a time where added stress decreases our immune systems. And this is a freaking virus that we're fighting. I think it is so dumb to be adding extra stress to people right now. Let them stay home. Let them be with their families. Let them just be fucking home. Come on. This yeah. is dumb. So it's almost like <laughs> if an asteroid were to hit the earth, you'd want to spend Thank more you. loved ones than you would with trying to better your job or your schooling. Now is the time to come together and love each other. Exactly. Who fucking cares if you got to... Okay, that's not true, actually. Like, I get why all the seniors in high school are super bummed that they don't get to walk down a graduate. Like, that does freaking suck. I get that. That's really important to some seniors. That's like a really, like, monumentous moment as a teenager. You know, you worked really hard for that. You deserve that moment. So I totally get that part of it. And in that way... I hope that in some way your family is able to make that a special moment for you still. Like, obviously it won't be the traditional way, but 
in all parts of history, we hear these stories of how families have been able to make a moment really special still. It's more about the like thought and the intention and the love behind that moment than it is the actual physical action. Right, right. I would like to believe that the schools are going to take on the work for that. And instead of just canceling it, they'll postpone this stuff in hope, yeah. my hope. I've heard a couple articles where some school districts are for the seniors. Like they're going to do like an August walk or something like that. I and mean, then people still get their homecoming or whatever it is that happens around this time of year in school. It's been I don't know. I haven't, I haven't been to school in about 400 years. So. I just, I mean, my thing is, is I have been kind of looking more into the news as far as where these countries that were farther ahead than us in the COVID, you know, outbreak. And yes, they have had improvement, but now they're seeing relapses as they've opened things back up more. So I don't, I think that we're going to see a longer period of quarantine we won't open our fucking quarantine up when we are going to like see it continuing to fail in these other countries that do we're just going to stay quarantined for a long amount of time i think there's going to have to be like changes and shifts to how we're quarantining i'm hoping that quick easy access to testing and like some kind of work system i was seeing how china is implementing a qr code which i don't love the idea of the government fucking tracking my every move and location and all of that, that seems really fucking creepy. But at the same time, like it also helps them keep track of who's testing positive every single day. They have to test themselves, which gives you access to know if like you can go see your mom who just had surgery for her oral cancer or who's getting ready to go. Like I would like to be able to go see my mom. You know what I mean? But it's like, I can't right now. Yeah, I honestly think, because I know, just from following along, that it takes about 18 months to test the uh, vaccine. They've created it, they've tested it, but to test it on a human, it takes about 18 months to see what it does and what kind of side effects and whatnot. Honestly, I think if we were smart, we would be doing this for about 18 months in some way, whatever that looks like, until we have vaccines we can widely spread and give out. Exactly. We've talked a lot about how the corona is affecting <laughs> our <neighbor>. I know. <laughs> well, my poly is life is pretty simple right now because I've just got my one partner and her and I, it's fairly easy for us to stay connected. So how do you do that? Well, we have been able to continue to see each other just because with recent changes in relationship statuses and housing situations, which have all evolved over the last, really the last two months, the breach in contact just hadn't really stopped at at any point. And so we kind of had to keep seeing each other. And so we just really haven't stopped, to be honest. So you're still kind of quarantined together. We're still, yeah, we're really just kind of quarantining between two homes situation really, I believe is just kind of the best way to explain it. Just makes it easier for us to coexist and support each other. Me as like kind of this solo poly person out here now and her and her um, partner, like we're well, to lead into kind of the history of my poly life, we were part of a quad. So 
I wouldn't call us a triad by any means. They're my family. So like them, their kids, my kids, we're all definitely part of a family. Yeah. And, and so I, I need that support because I have been quarantined from my physical family for a while. Right. So when you don't get the chance to be together physically, getting the idea that you're understanding your risk levels and how to mitigate that through your and her and his, like they're, everybody involved. Yeah, the risk factors. The nice thing is, is none of us are essential workers. They're both working from home. I'm a non-essential worker. And so really, it's just the contact between the two homes. So it's, you know, pretty minimal. And it's almost like communicating the STD. Like, what's your contact been this week? Well, what's your contact? Okay. And then at that point, we assess, like, what's the safety level of recontacting? We totally said the same thing the other night. We were like, man, this is like an STD conversation. Really? I feel like, and I've said it more, like multiple times, polyamory has totally set people like us up to like live through the coronavirus because we're going to be able to be like, okay, who did you see last? <laughs> like, <laughs> I promise I just went to the grocery store. I promise I only, I stood six feet away when I went through the check stand. <laughs> So we don't get the chance to interact physically or when there are things, say there was an unexpected risk factor that keeps you apart. How do you manage your relationship through distancing now? I definitely have my friendships and my close friends. I definitely communicate with them on a regular basis. I have a few friends that I like just kind of like we're almost... I almost do like a daily check-in with them. Just make sure I touch base with them at least once a day. Just buddy check. Hey, making sure you're all right. Mostly other solo poly people that I just want to like make sure they're doing okay. And so, yeah, I'm, <laughs> the thing is, is when I kind of, like I have my people for sure, but I also have really found my introvert side, which sounds strange because I'm not, I don't, I don't present as an introvert in any way, shape or form. But I also really have realized when I choose to show my extrovert side, when I, I'm very particular about when I choose to use that energy. But when I go radio silent, that's also very intentional. That means I really just need that. I need some time. So if like you don't hear from me, don't take it personal. I just don't have the energy for that interaction at that time. Well, that's really important. I, I do the same thing. I love being around my people and I love connecting and texting or whatever. A lot of times where I need to be, like you said, radio silent so that I can work on something that I might be struggling with or just so I can recharge something. It's tough to do that sometimes. It's not a personal thing. It's just I need to take care of a thing or two with me. And I'm, there have been a time or two where friendships have been strained or lost because someone wasn't ready to understand or accept that situation. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think one of the things I've found has that's really just been something that I've discovered I've needed. Like I may have been doing it before, but it's something I've realized that I'm doing. And so now I'm doing it more intentionally. And so I kind of have that discussion with them ahead of time. And I realize it's really funny because I've come to this conclusion and it's, I'm going to like rabbit hole a few things here, actually. Good, I'm not the only one. Go ahead. <laughs> Bear with me. So I've actually had a few people call me, text me, and I've talked to like 
three or four people in the like with two within one day about how they were dating people over text or phone calls who they'd had a deeper conversation with them, like gone a little deeper, talked a little bit more about their feelings. And then the other person had gone quiet and they were afraid they'd said too much. And they were like, oh no, Laurel, I think I might've said too much. And I gave them the best, worst advice. And I said, honey, you can never say too much because honestly, if you're ever going to find somebody who you're really going to be okay to be with, you have to be 100% transparent. Like everyone always used to say like, oh no, Laurel, you have to tone it down at first. I don't want to fucking tone it down at first. They've got to fall in love with this fucking Laurel because this is the fucking Laurel that I want to be. This is who I am. Love this Laurel or move on because this is who I am. Yep. I guess the point of that was at some point it had something to do with what you had said, Joshua, that you went radio silent. Mm -hmm. And I guess the point was that I just warned people like even up to like the first date, maybe, or even like the first really serious conversation. I love to text. I love to communicate. But sometimes I will get busy with my life or my kids will need extra time and attention from me. And I want to give that to them. It may not always be that way, but right now that's how it is. And there may be times where I have more energy to give to you. And then there may be times where I have less energy to give to you. And so like through text, I'm not always the fastest to return that text please don't read into that. If I have a problem with you, if I'm questioning something, please have no doubt in your mind that I will openly and honestly ask you that question. I don't fiddly dink around anymore. I don't want to mess with your emotions or your time because I don't want you to mess with mine. And that's a good way of looking at it. Yeah. Yeah, Unfortunately, it makes a lot of people uncomfortable, but those are the people I don't want to date. Like I don't want to date people that are uncomfortable with just straightforward sometimes ugly honesty. I wish I was there right now because I so badly want to like boop your guys' noses. Here's the camera. (laughs) (laughs) And then I'd want to like boop your belly buttons. Boop, boop. (laughs) I know we just got real personal. Sorry. (laughs) Okay, I want to boop your belly button too. Oh, I'd let you boop my belly button all day long. (laughs) So speaking of booping belly buttons, yeah, what are you most excited for coming out of isolation and what are the first things that you want to do? I, and this actually is going to be really exciting to talk to you guys later about maybe, really want to start hosting events again. I have already planned some swinger events out at Sabi Island. Did you know there's sea lions that swim up the Gilbert River on Sabi Island? Oh. I did not, no. Mm-hmm. But hosting events, Sabi will be open. I will probably still go out to Sabi and send my boobies, just saying, on those second Sundays coming up in June. I'll probably just be out on my float most of the time or in my little sun tent because I really actually can't sun. I burn. Yeah. (laughs) We also discussed hosting and throwing an event, kind of like a post-quarantine party kind of a thing. Oh, yeah. That will be really fun. And then one of the things that I was talking about, because we have a friend who is having a birthday through this and they don't get a birthday party. I want to try to figure out who in our close community has had birthdays through this and then try to set up a party 
for them, like a birthday party, a collective birthday party. That would be so fun. I would love to do that because my birthday is next month and I know it's everything's going to be all closed down through my birthday. And I was planning on having like the super like hippie free love birthday party at my house. Clothing optional. I was going to like order a bunch of silk robes off of Oriental Trading Company and we were all just going to like walk around and it was going to be like the like 60s, 70s. Have on like cocktail music from the 60s. That would be awesome. It was gonna be great. And then you can even do like body paints on that birthday party. I was thinking the same thing. Yeah. Get some body paints. Oh, that would be so fun. I have friends that would come do that. Yeah, we did a body painting event a few years ago, and there was a whole like consent class that they held first about asking if you can touch someone after the discussion was free for all body paints and it was so much fun oh that'd be so fun we talked a little bit about corona and kind of how you're coping and dealing with it but now i want to go back a little bit how did you dip your toes into ethical non-monogamy how did you even get started on this journey I've actually been thinking a lot about this lately because I kind of use each transition, I should say, of a relationship. I prefer transition to end um, of a relationship as a time to kind of like reassess my relationship journey, honestly. Like, how did I get to this place? What led to this? And what can I learn? I feel like the transition of this last relationship was a really huge catalyst for me to really delve way back and look at a lot of my patterns, a lot of my relationship patterns. And so really the poly piece, I feel like it goes back really the first place I can trace it to was the end of, well, no, even during my first marriage. I always enjoyed the friendships, the more, the more intimate friendships with people and the more like intimate relationships with people emotionally. And then as I became single again, physically, I flirted a lot while I was married. I definitely had a lot of propositions to cheat on people when I was married to my husband. And so he thought I cheated on him a lot, but I did not. And so I uh, left him and then I took a lot of those propositions up on their propositions. So (laughs) I would say that's when I became polyamorous because I started dating and I was like, hey, I'm also dating other people. You're not the only person I'm dating. You're not the only person I'm having sex with. Here's my spiel. Uh, Do you have any issues with that? And they did or they didn't. And that kind of determined how we moved forward. So actually when I met my second ex-husband, who I'm still really good friends with now, that we've been able to kind of heal up some of our wounds. But when I first met him, we were old schoolmates uh, that reconnected after my first marriage ended. I used to get ready for dates like at his house. We would just be hanging out and I'd be like, he'd be like, well, what are you doing later? And I'd be like, oh, I have a date. And he'd be like, you want to get ready at my place? And so I'd go get ready at his place and he would give me tips on what dress I should wear. Like I'd take over a couple of outfits and he would totally help me get ready for dates. He would always make sure that I, you know, made it home safely. And he was just a good freaking friend. And then we just kind of fell in love. So, you know, how that happens. 
But, you know, he was cool with me dating other people for quite a while, even after him and I started dating. And then throughout our marriage, we swung a couple of times. I moved to Portland and my little sister was like, you sound like you'd be good at being polyamorous. And I was like, well, what's polyamorous? And she's like, that's where you like actually love the people you're sleeping with. (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, well, I always love the people I sleep with. I just don't necessarily get in a relationship with them. I'm like, I love everybody. Come on. (laughs) And then I did some research, bought a bunch of books and realized that polyamory was a little bit more than just loving the people you've slept with. And I came out to my husband about wanting to, I, I wouldn't say came out to him, but I was like, hey, I think that I might be polyamorous. And I think that we could be a polyamorous couple because you also like to sleep with other people. And I thought that he'd be cool with it. And so we kind of opened up. I ended up dating a person. The first person I dated, a polyamorous, was somebody that made my husband really uncomfortable. It was um, someone much younger than myself. It was someone that was tied to our family in a way that made it really awkward for him. It was honestly just a really kind of shitty thing for me to do because it came from a really selfish place. He was just kind of the first guy to hit on me and make me feel good about myself. And it ended after like a month and a half. And that just set a really bad tone for the beginning of polyamory for him. Yeah. I think a lot of people kind of have a rocky start because you don't know, you don't know the rules. You don't know what you're supposed to do. So, you know, people dip their toes in, in whatever way they think is right. And then sure things get messed up and people make mistakes and missteps and we learn from it now Well, and that kind of goes into the understanding of what NRE is, new relationship energy. One of the things that, I mean, it's often talked about in the polyamorous community is when you develop NRE with a person, new relationship energy with a person, that stuff can go wild and that creates a whole different dynamic for what your life is and what your current relationships have. But I think that one thing that's important to know that a lot of people forget to think about is having the NRE with what polyamory is. Right, like falling in love with poly. When you first start being polyamorous and you're like, oh, I'm exploring this whole new life of mine. It's so exciting. You develop an NRE with the idea of polyamory and the practice of polyamory. Often you get so wrapped up in exploring this polyamory, you, you maybe forget to deal with the things that are important to deal with going forward. Yeah. Well, and then like you throw that in with maybe some other relationship dependency issues or love addiction, you know, stuff like that. You throw that in and like regular NRE that already feels like a little shot of a drug all of a sudden is like a little shot of a drug for a regular person, but you're like giving that little shot of a drug to a fucking addict. Right. Right. And that's kind of what ended up happening with me. And so I kind of went on this, I'm a fucking free woman rampage of every dude that wanted to get in my pants. I was like, cool, let's do it. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, as long as they loved me, that was the deal was like, you just had to actually love me. And nice thing is, is I'm a pretty lovable person because I'm kind of nice. So... (laughs) 
as long as you can get past my like resting bitch face that apparently I've been told I have when I go to like parties and like I'm feeling insecure, I apparently get RBS. So I've actually got a story for that. Okay. For you. First time. <laughs> oh, I'm excited. I like stories for me. The first time that I recall meeting you was at a friend's birthday party out on the river. Do you remember this? Oh, I remember this, and I know, yeah. And I, I was enamored with you. Like I was like, look at her, look at her. Like I want to talk to her, but she doesn't look like she wants to talk. She doesn't look very friendly. <laughs> so I, I did experience that RBF that you're talking about because I thought it would be fun to get to know you but you didn't feel approachable to me at that time. So I was like, ah, oh, it's cool. I'll just do my thing. Well, and it was funny because this mutual friend whose birthday party it was is very loud and outgoing and friendly. So it was like, how does she have her as a friend? Because she doesn't seem very outgoing and friendly. Like, I don't know how they get along. Yeah. I was <laughs> oh, my gosh. Have I told you the other side of this story? Like, where no. I was at? No. I was like, Oh my God, to my friend who I was standing with, I think that's Josh and Bella. Oh my God, I think that's Josh and Bella, you guys. You guys, I want to talk to them so bad, but I think that's Josh and Bella. <laughs> For real. I was like, you guys, I think that's them, but what if, what if they don't know who I am? What if they don't know who I am? And they're like, whatever. I was straight up like starstruck, freaking the fuck out. I was like, I think that's Josh and Bella on their kayak. And then I finally got up the courage and I kind of waited out on the sandbar and I was like, so are you guys Josh and Bella? And you were like, yeah. And I'm like, hi, I'm Laurel. <laughs> That's so funny. Okay, nice to meet you. And then I'm on the over here. And then I was like, oh my God, I feel like the biggest idiot. Well, see, and that's funny, too, because you did that, and then you're like, all right, I'm going to take off, and I was like, oh, she definitely doesn't want to talk to us. <laughs> and she's like, No, oh, I yeah. totally was hoping you guys would be like, hey, come hang out. <laughs> like, damn it. You but know, then, see, then we hung out, and we were cool from there on. I just had a funny, similar conversation with our Tennessee friend. Uh -huh. I was telling her about how I love Rachel Hollis, and I just want to be Rachel Hollis's best friend and all this stuff. And she, she was like, that's how I feel about you. Oh. I just want to be your best friend because you're Bella and Josh. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I love that so much. So going back to, like, your beginning of polyamory and all that. Yeah, yeah. experience, once you actually, like, stepped your foot in and started dating, was your experience different from what you expected it to be like? So I came from more of a swinger background. And so I was honestly, I don't really know what I expected. I had a very open mind about it, but I was definitely coming from the swinger background. Um, but I wasn't even really a hardcore swinger. I was the, like, I threw house parties and a couple of times another couple stayed the night. Like that was, like that happened twice in my 14 year marriage. And it was like fun when it happened, but um, it wasn't something we were actively seeking. And so it was just, I don't know. The polyamory thing to me just felt more natural because I personally found that I enjoyed more of the deeper friendships that polyamory made me feel like I was, it was more acceptable for me to have. Like it allowed me to feel like I was okay to have these deeper friendships. 
weirdly enough. I was like, it's okay. I'm polyamorous. I'm allowed to have these friends that I tell I love them all the time because like I'm polyamorous. I'm allowed to love everybody. Ha ha ha. I don't know. That's what my brain needed. And now I'm just like, no, this is just who I am. I just like, I love my friends deeply. That's just how I am. In a monogamy mindset, I mean, really we end up thinking or being taught that friends, especially friends of the opposite sex are bad and no go. And you shouldn't have friends of the opposite sex because it always leads somewhere. Because it always leads to sex. And if right. you do have them, you certainly can't tell them you love them. You can't tell them you love them and, you know, all that stuff. So I think once you decide you're open and you're polyamorous, it does kind of give you the okay to just naturally have close friendships yeah. with whoever. Exactly. And the thing is, and then the polyamorous bit first allowed my, like, heart to open up. It's funny because starting out as a swinger, I've really seen this huge, weird, like, morphing. I wish you could see my whole hand. I saw this whole, like, morphing transition of myself. Like, I was sex positive at first in a way because I was a swinger, but then I also still held a lot of, like, shame around some of that sexuality that I had and so I really focused on the like love portion of things and I got my love portion really strong and then I've really kind of wrapped back around to like the sex positivity which has also really encompassed a lot of body positivity for me which has been super super awesome because it's come at a time where like I reached my highest weight without being pregnant and it's helping me also realize and I think it's part of the heart I needed to grow the heart part to realize that the heart part plays such a huge part in like the physical beauty part too for me, which it always has. I always needed to find someone like emotionally beautiful to find them physically beautiful anyway. But now I'm really being able to let go of socially structured physical beauty standards and really see people for who they are and not only just see them emotionally beautiful, but see how amazing our bodies are in all of their forms and find beauty in things that some people find ugly. Does that make sense? Like I think some scar, like scars and um, like different things are actually just really freaking cool. The human body is really rad. That's when like my science brain kicks in because I'm just like the human body is really awesome and really beautiful and sciency and neat. Fat cells are really cool actually if you think about them. And so like sitting there and like playing with someone's like soft bits is really fun. Anyway, so it's helped me in a lot of ways. <laughs> So referencing back to what you were talking about, transitioning from swinger to polyamorous, you talked about how you felt some shame that was associated in that time of your life. Do you think that it has something to do with how swinging has historically been something that is a part of a couple's life that they try to keep private and they don't let their friends and neighbors know? Do you feel like it comes from the stigma that women shouldn't be having a lot of sex or a lot of partners. I mean, where do you feel like that shame come from? And how did, how did that shape where you go now? I think that ultimately the shame came from shaming sexuality in everybody. Sexuality in general has just been shamed. I mean, granted, it is shamed more in women than in men, but honestly, even in men, like they, I don't know. I know a lot of men with sexual trauma. There's a reason men aren't allowed to not be sexual creatures. Think about that. 
I know a lot of men who have recently told me, like, I don't want to always have sex. That's not who I am. I want to be able to say, no, I'm actually tired. I'd like to go to sleep, not have sex tonight. But I feel like society puts this pressure on me to be a sex machine. And I always have to be at the ready to have sex. Like, that's who I'm supposed to be. And so I feel like there's this almost like there's a shame around sexuality for them, too. It's just different in a way than sexuality for women. We're expected to not be sexual. They're expected to always be sexual, whereas it really should be the other way around. Like, we're the ones that have the urge to make the fucking babies. Like, give us all your seed, God damn it! You're the ones that are supposed to be getting tired, not us. We're like, give it to me, daddy. Come on. <laughs> like, come on. Let's, like, be real here. I've experienced some backlash from actually turning people down. So I get what you're saying to that degree. Yeah. And I just, I think that really, so my shame just came from people thought it was strange that I was such a sexual being. It also came from the fact that I felt shame when I wasn't sexual enough because I do have an ebb and a flow to my sexuality. I'm not always a sex machine. Sometimes I take multi-week breaks. Sometimes I take a month or more where I just really don't have the energy to go out and have sex or even have sex with a partner regularly. Or sometimes I don't even want to masturbate. Like I have ebbs and flows in my sexuality. Everybody does. It's pretty natural. Sometimes people's ebbs last longer than others and it's just a thing. So I think that there was a lot of shame placed on it around that. There was a lot of shame placed around my partner's need and or want to watch pornography and take care of themselves. And not only for them, but then that was placed on me that that was wrong. That was some kind of, you know, cheating in my upbringing. And so it was just this whole thing, so much shame placed around every aspect of sexuality for everybody involved to where it wasn't like we could just fucking talk about sex openly. Like, let's just fucking talk about this shit. Like, how are you feeling? You want to have sex? No. Well, do you want to masturbate then? Well, not really. I'd really rather be able to have sex. Okay, well, I mean, how are you going to feel if I have sex with someone else? Or do you, like, like, let's just talk this shit out and, like, make it work for everybody. You know what I mean? So that sounds like that's one thing that has changed who you are once finding out what polyamory is and what it means to you? What are some other examples of how polyamory has changed your life? It has definitely helped me in becoming more independent, which sounds strange because I think I was trying to fill in all these needs that I thought I had because like I said uh, earlier, I definitely have struggled with like codependency and feeling like I always needed somebody and like needed a certain aspect of my life filled. I think for me, it's actually really helped me realize a level of self-independence. I can rely on myself more than I ever could because of the people that are in my life. They support me in a way that has taught me to support myself. Does that make sense? Yeah. I think if I had stayed with just a single partner and just been like, nope, this is just how it is. You just make this work. Then I think that I would have just stayed within old patterns. Whereas I think when I pushed myself out of that comfort zone of just staying in like that codependency pattern, 
I allowed myself to grow into something bigger and better. And those people that I've allowed into my life because of that have also supported me in that growth pattern. Right. Awesome. Laurel, what are you clicking? Oh, I'm sorry. (laughs) (laughs) I throw it across the room. I throw it across the room. (laughs) But it's funny because what you're saying about like being able to have multiple partners and, and all this extra love and whatnot made you more independent. I think I've become like a better person on my own because of how I've grown and all the self-reflection and internal work that I've had to do since becoming like polyamorous. I get it. I totally agree with that. I think that, that like being polyamorous does, it's not an easy thing. It's not just like, Oh, here she goes again. She's just going to get a bunch of people to like be codependent on. Like it's actually really hard to have all those partners and try to balance that and have healthy, honest relationships with them. It makes you do a lot of personal work. And I think that's what's helped me become more of an independent, healthy person is working through all of those relationships, not only independently, but then trying to like practice the kitchen table poly style of polyamory that I do, because, you know, you have to then also work to try and get everybody to be able to coexist, not just like independently operate. Now was kitchen table poly always your like ideal dynamic or has that changed over time? I think that it is my ideal dynamic long term because ultimately I just like having the big happy family thing. Like when I have my birthday, I just want everybody to get together and have a good big old happy time. My whole thing is community. I want to build community. I want to build a community. So I need my community. Like that's, that's who I want my people to be is my community. I don't want to have Like I can have like a person who's like a a comet or something who like pops in here and there and isn't necessarily close with my community, but like who would be able to like come in and come to a birthday party, something that's special for me and be able to like be around my community. My biggest thing is at this point, I've had partners where they didn't want to be around each other, where stuff was contentious um, on multiple occasions. And that's just not something I really want to deal with at this point. I know that there's warm up periods, but I'm also just at a point where I don't know. I really, I'm going to like go into my like James Bond mode. I've been watching James Bond a lot. Oh my gosh, we should totally do a James Bond theme party. Yes. Yes. Oh, we can do some fancy ass cocktails. So if you could go back and kind of start this journey all over again. Is there anything that you would change in how you did things? I wish there was a way I could have gone through this journey without hurting my kids. Mm. Yeah, that's a good one. Other than that, I think I needed to do everything I did and meet everybody I met. But I think I really do believe in the journey is what makes the person and makes the reality that we live in now. And so... I don't think that I would really be wanting to change much. I just wish there was a way I could like not have done it with the damage to the kiddos, but you know, 
hopefully I can use that as a learning experience for them as like, look, things were really, really hard, but that made me a better mom. And so now I'm going to like rock the shit out of the next two years for my 16 year old and then 10 more years for the other one. I think that, I mean, when we talked with Amelia, she talked about a shared traumatic experience with this COVID-19 and her family and stuff and talked about positive ways to take a negative point in a life or a hard point in a life and put positive work into it. So like you said, it becomes a learning experience. So perhaps in some way, like you said, every part of the journey needed to happen for a reason. Perhaps in a way, this is a growth point for you and your children that you can work through and be closer than ever before. Yeah, for sure. And like, maybe that's why with, you know, seriously, COVID-19, like the quarantine, the required quarantine happened a week before my ex-boyfriend moved out. And um, we weren't sure if he was going to be able to move out. But like, it really is like a fresh start for us. And the fact that we like now have all this time together is really been great. And so we're like ready to move on. (laughs) Nice. So I do have one more Polly question for you. Yes. What are your hopes for your love life, your relationship goals? What are your hopes and dreams relationship wise going forward? Swinger Laurel is definitely coming back into the picture. I am really looking forward to flying solo poly for a bit. I am identifying as solo poly. I feel like there's nesting poly and solo poly. Does that make sense? Yeah. I feel like when you're solo poly, you're, you live alone. You're, you have your partners. Like It's like boyfriend and girlfriends and live-in partners. Like there's, it's like a, there's a distinction. And so I'm, fe- I'm feeling very like solo poly. I want to date. I want to hang out with people. I definitely want to swing. Um, I'm feeling my like one night stands. Um, I haven't actually really had a lot of those surprisingly. So I'm, I'm definitely feeling ready to like be single and ready to mingle. And that's what I want to focus on for a bit. I think that's going to actually really help my codependency issues. It's like not wanting to like settle down and make a life with every person I fuck. Right. So yeah, so that's going to be a a good like forward movement for me. And I really am excited to do my hair and makeup after this long stretch of like tomboy Laurel. So, which I love tomboy Laurel. Like, don't get me wrong. This is a really comfortable, like happy version of Laurel. But I'm also really excited to be like fun, flirty, candy pop floral again. Right. So I think that pretty much wraps up our time. And I definitely appreciate you coming on to the show and having a discussion with us, Laurel. Yeah, thank you so, so much. Thank you for having me. It was really great having a nice visit with you guys. I definitely miss your faces. Yes, yes. And I can't wait to where we get to hang out in person again. That'll be so nice your insight and and your discussion was valuable and i appreciate everything you shared with us and i can't wait for us to hang out again yeah all the nose and belly button boops yes (laughs) so thanks again and uh, we will connect with you a little bit later and we hope the time that you shared with all of us and we will see you all next tuesday all right bye 
Thank you for talking your poly off with Bella and Monsada. You can find our Facebook page in the links or by searching for I Love Polly and liking the page Polyamory Get Your Heart On. You can also find I Love Polly on Instagram and Twitter by searching I Love Polly Cares. If you want us to help you navigate to all of our online presence, check out the show notes or come on over to ilovepolly.org. We would love to hear from you. That's right. And you can get in touch with us by emailing podcast at ilovepolly.org. That's singular podcast, not plural. So until our next discussion, Pollyam fam, live like there's no tomorrow, laugh until it hurts, and, and love, love without, without limits. limits.